Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files. Coco Konski will not be – it looks like she will not be joining us tonight, but uh, she'll be here next Tuesday. And and doc, at the bottom of the hour, Dr. Larry will be joining us as well. So we're going to have – basically, I'm going to spend the first portion of this show looking at data. Uh, I've done this before, but I wanted to kind of – uh, look at some interesting data that I came up with. And I want to, but before I do, I should introduce myself. I am Tom Donaldson. I am the chairman of America's PAC. I am also uh, the project director for America's Majority Foundation, the author of eight great books, none of which are bestsellers, but they all should be, including The Rise of National Populism and Democratic Socialism. By the way, you can get on Post Hill Press. Uh, so, yeah. Post Hill Press, and uh, we'll, you know, I'll detail more of that as we continue with the show. So, what I wanted to do, like I said, what I want to do here is, I, is I'm going to look at some data here, and we're going to kind of slowly go through some of this because I think it's been, it will put things in proper perspective. And one of the first things I'm going to look at is this. Is what's the price we've had to pay for this pandemic? And and this will be based on the most recent unemployment numbers. And it will be most recent, uh, let's say, per capita deaths, total deaths, deaths by state. So I've got all of this data here. And then we're going to look at, let's say, you know, data, let's say, from the middle of the country, what we call the heartland uh, data. And then we're going to be looking at the GDP quarterly, the last quarter, and look at those data. And then we're going to just, you know, and then kind of look at the states, overall state data, and go from, you know, and and see where we're at and where we should have been, because I'm gonna. But the first thing I want to do is this. Let's look at the big. The big question that comes to play is this: We've talked almost constantly about people dying of COVID, or people in this case dying with COVID. So what I wanted to do is okay, let's look at the numbers, the actual numbers here. And the reality is that, okay, 200, slightly over 292,000 people have died in states with Democratic governors. Thousands have died in states that have Republican governors. So you know, that data right there is to tell you, right off the bat, you understand very clearly 
that the number of people who have died in the 20 now presently 23 states we have democratic governors versus the 254,000 full story but it does still give you kind of a hint okay where do we need to go from here and uh, not so much where, but you know, it's, again, we, you know, like I say, you need to be looking at data. Now, the other aspect is this: on a death per state basis, nearly thirteen thousand people have died in states with Democratic governors. Ninety-five hundred have died in states with Republican governors on a per capita basis. Now, this is the one area where Democrats can have a slight advantage, and I use the word slight because here's what we're talking about. We're talking about 1,535 per 1 million have died in Democratic states per capita versus 1,547 in in Republican states per capita. So we're talking a differential of 12 per 1 million people have died. That's per capita. So how significant is that? And I think, you know, and the question comes into play, what sacrifice that people have had to endure, endure to get this? All right. Because one of the aspects is unimportant. Blue states, on the average, have been more willing to restrict their economy in an effort to stop the virus. And remember, we're talking 12 per million, and we're not, by the way, we're not, and understand this. There have been studies out already detailing, detailing uh, the fact that, let's say, it, you know, there's a trade-off. For example, increased suicide, increased drug, abu- you know, drug overdoses. Those are all now been documented. We know that there have been studies showing very clearly that, mil- that at least a million people either died or will die prematurely as a result of the lockdown. And in fact, almost two to one ratio people will die either because of drug overdose, suicides, or let's say not getting chronic treatments treated on time, or may die prematurely down the road because of this. But we're not even throwing that into the mix. If you do, then that's 12 per million is wiped out. But this is the cost. The cost is six. The unemployment numbers for blue states with Democratic governors, 6.6% unemployment. Percent employment. That means, in effect, about 18,000 per million people have been unemployed, made unemployed. More people are unemployed in these blue states or the red states. And remember, we're talking 12 per 1 million differential. In other words, there was no significant differences on a per capita basis, red states and blue states. Let me repeat that. No real significant difference in the deaths per capita between red states and blue states. But yet, 
18,000 more people have been made unemployed as a result. Is this too high of a price to pay? I've always stated very clearly that it was, that this was a very high price. You know, there are those who would debate that, but we're talking significant number of people unemployed. And then when you get to the bigger states, which I'm going to detail shortly, it's even worse differential between, let's say, those with Republican governors versus those with Democratic governors. Uh, you know, we will be looking very shortly at the top most populous states in the union, four of which are Republican, four of which are Democrats, four that you can either say are red states or certainly have, you know, Republican control both houses versus those that are definitely blue states. And we're going to detail those shortly after this break. This is Tom Donaldson here with the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse! Go, guys! Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I, I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, Jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Yes, this is Tom Donaldson. Donaldson Files for the Bachelor News Radio Network. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports, offers and Participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. You can become a sponsor of the Donaldson Files on Tuesday and Wednesday. Here's what it gets you. You get three ads plus a mention. So you're going to get mentioned four times with three ads plus a mention uh, within a period of an hour. You'll be listed as a sponsor of the show at the beginning of the show, at the end of the show. So you, in a way, you're going to get six mentions altogether. In addition, you will be allowed to come on the show on a monthly basis and talk about the latest that goes on with your company, your product, and whatever it is you want to advertise on our show. Now, here's what you need to do. You need to call the LABachelor40 at gmail.com. Email 40 at gmail.com, and we will get a sales representative to talk to you about advertising and being a Sponsor of this hour, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, and also the same deal will go along with the uh, 
you know, the Resistance Hour, Dr. Larry and Tom, on Wednesday nights as well. So don't forget, so that's three great hours of radio that you can get by advertising on the Donaldson Files and on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And don't forget our website is thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. TheBachelorNewsRadioNetwork.com. And you have a list of all of our shows, so you can listen to it at any time at your convenience. And don't forget, if you're a sponsor, your advertisement and your sponsorship will also be forever put on our network. So when people go back to get past shows, they're going to hear your advertisement and your sponsorship here on the Bachelor news radio network all right now i'm going to go back and i say at the bottom of the hour uh dr larry will be joining us as well so we're kind of you know but here's the thing you know i stated if you look at the bigger states even a worse differential and this is what i mean here okay florida Texas, ohio georgia the four most populous republican states California, New York, Illinois, Pennsylvania are the most populous Democratic states. And let's look, I mean, and as I say, worse, because as I stated, the overall network, when you look at Republican versus Democratic states, uh, it's about a slight advantage to the Democrat by 12 for 1 million, but at a price of 18,000 per, you know, 18,000 per million. Ohio and Georgia. The average per capita death is sixteen forty six or sixteen forty seven. Sixteen forty seven. Versus nineteen seventy two. So in effect, these top most populous blue states have nearly three hundred per million more deaths. Than the red states, three hundred million, three hundred per million, three hundred per million more deaths. The average unemployment. Now remember, the average unemployment is in whole four point seven for these particular states, slightly over five point three, compared to eight percent unemployment for California, New York, Illinois, and Pennsylvania. So here's, think of it this way. About 27,000 people per million are more are un, more uh, unemployed. They're more, uh, the blue states have 27,000 per million more unemployed people versus the red, the red big states. And they have over uh, 330 per million more deaths. Now, and the thing is, Florida has been one of those states, and here's the aspect of all of those four states. Only one of those states have a lower, and that of Democratic states, and that's California. But when you look at the numbers, you look at the variables. For example, California has a younger population by about 12%. And 
And so when you take the variable of age in a pack, in fact, impacting, what you're going to find that that's pretty much wiped out. But let's just take it. But the bottom line is the top most populous red states average 1647 per million versus 1972 per million blue states. But the blue states' unemployment number are significantly higher at 8%. So the question comes here to play is, what has been the overall benefit? And the answer is not very much of a benefit. In fact, the more bigger the states, the bigger the differential both in unemployment and per million that favor those red states. So you're more likely to be unemployed if you live in a major big blue state and you're more likely to have died from COVID. And again, as I stated, it's not true for all Democrat states. As I stated, they're who've done fairly well and the overall numbers are 10 per million slightly in the favor of blue states. But when you look at the bigger states like Pennsylvania, Illinois, California, New York, versus, let's say, similar size population states with Republicans, not only do you have more unemployment, but you also have more deaths. So they can't even so you can't even make the argument that that you are saving lives through the economic lockdown and shutdown. Now the one interesting aspect that I did notice, and I'm gonna go back and I've done this and like I say, this is updated data for the most recent unemployment numbers from the state and from the state. But when you go to the middle of the country, what we call what, and this, and this, and again, these are states designated as heartland states. And so they've identified about 20 states that they view, let's say from Minnesota, Wisconsin, North and the Dakotas, all the way down to Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas. So there's like this middle group of states that they view as essentially the heartland. And the heartland has actually done better on the economic side than, let's say, uh, the different coasts. And let me get, let's look at the numbers here. If you live in the heartland, the average unemployment for both Democrats and Republican states is 4.8%. The national average is 6.2%. Overall, the heartland, no, two states. So 4.8 versus 6.2. Republican states makes up is 4.5%. And again, this is under the national 
you know, the national Republican number, which is 4.7%. In Democratic states, 5.3% unemployment numbers versus 6.6 nationwide for Democratic states and 6.2 the United States. In other words, if you live in middle America, from Minnesota all the way down to the tip of Texas, you're more likely, regardless of state, of who runs the state, Democrats or Republicans, to be employed and have a job. And that's it. You know, and so the question that comes to, and so basically, those in the middle, America, have done much better job creation-wise than the national average. They've done better than most of the bigger states on either. And so, based, and so this is basically you know, the numbers here. And so these are the numbers that need to be discussed here. And this really, I'm bringing this up for a simple reason, because we're going to be living shortly. We're going to have to learn from the mistakes of what we did. And you're already seeing people position that right now. And somehow or another, you know, certainly the scientific class that, in my view, made two dramatic mistakes, the impact of the lockdown, the lethality of the virus. Tony Fox and people like Debbie Burks are trying to resurrect their reputation. People who are within the Biden administration, uh, who spent a good portion of their, let's say, last year attacking Ron DeSantis and others who opened up the states, and they want to be able to take credit. And I want people to understand. There's enough data to simply sit back and say the lockdowns were a complete failure. And depending on which state you live in, which part of the country you live in, is really determine whether or not, A, you actually die from the virus. Quite frankly, um, this is die from the virus, but also, also, whether you're, you have a job or not. As I say, the national average with 6.2% is the national unemployment numbers. Democrats are above that line on the average in every state. Republicans are below. Unless you, now, if you live in the heartland, uh, you most likely are going to have a much stronger economy than the national average, regardless of if you're in Democrat states, are still more likely to be unemployed than Republican states, even in this and you're looking at something like I'm gonna suggest about eight thousand per a million more people were unemployed as a result. As a result. So you have that. And and so basically regardless of where you look at, Republicans have done better than Democratic states on the economy without necessarily increasing having a significant difference in death. They don't. There's no significant difference. The bigger the state, the worse it is for Democrats. That's essentially the way you can put it. So and we're going to continue this delve into data after these messages. This is Tom Donaldson here with the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. 
Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Donaldson Piles. Now, if you want to become a sponsor of the show, here's what you need to do. Email lbachelor40 at gmail.com, and we'll make you a sponsor of this hour and on the Wednesday hour, as well as we'll even help you with the Dr. Larry show, the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry. Three great hours of radio, you can be sponsored. What does a sponsor mean? You get three ads. You get a mention, plus at the beginning and at the end of the show, you'll be listed as a sponsor. It means, in effect, you're going to get six mentions on the show about your company, the product you're trying to sell, and you'll have a chance on a monthly basis to come offer a segment to talk about your show, talk about your company, talk about your products, and give a, a sales pitch to everybody. To give ourselves a sales pitch. So, I just want you to know, I mean, this is basically uh, what you can do. So it, and so, great opportunity. We have, we have basically a good broad-based audience that reaches hundreds of thousands of people. And so, you could be a sponsor of this show and of this hour. And now we're back here to the Donaldson Files. And as I say, shortly, Dr. Larry will be joining us to talk about the latest. And here's the thing that comes into play here. I'm now going to look at GDP growth. And the thing that's interesting here is that in the fourth quarter, you know, we talked about the unemployment number. We talked about this, but here's the interesting other aspect comes in play. If you look at the fourth quarter, the most recent quarter of growth, once again, Republican states outperform Democratic states. And remember, as I already stated, uh, as I've already stated, uh, there's been basically no significant increase in death, and yet you're more likely to be unemployed. But let's look at these G, D, 
CP numbers, okay? GDP numbers. The GDP numbers basically is this. Overall, Republican peak growth versus 3.7% GDP. All right, let me repeat that again. Uh, Republicans had a 5.1 to 3.7% growth. Now, the other thing, take this even a step further, is this. 80% of the top 10 states with the best GDP growth in the fourth quarter were Republican states and Republican governors. But Three quarters, nearly three out of every four, three out of every four states, three out of every four states in the top 25 had Republican governors. And when you look at the bottom, is is 68% of those states with the worst GDP in the bottom half were Democratic states. So when you're looking at the four, you know, overall growth and uh, overall growth in the GDP, what you're going to see is exactly what, you know, again, as I was mentioning earlier, red states outperform blue states in economic performance. Yeah, let me kind of repeat that. Red states outperform blue states in GDP data. So the point I want to make Again, and this is just kind of repeats everything I stated, because here's the bottom line: you had better. I mean, we've had a 50-state experiment here, where we see absolutely no differential, very little differential in deaths per capita between red states and blue states, but a significant difference economic performance by red states over blue states. So we're still waiting for Dr. Larry to come on. So the point I want to make to this audience is is that for the most part, we've been able to have this experiment and figure out, okay, what was the best way to deal with the pandemic? Was it the Ron DeSantis methodology, Galvin Newsom, or Andrew Cuomo's? Uh, and the answer is becoming clear. Ron DeSantis basically kept his state's economy going, opened up his economy earlier than many of the blue states. And I should point out again, it wasn't exactly like he uh, – there was a massive, massive uh, 
you know, there was some lockdown and some economic restriction at the beginning with Florida with everybody else. But the point I'm going to make here is he opened up the economy earlier. And among the bigger states, his economic performance, 4.7% unemployment going into February 2021. He has the lowest unemployment rate of all of the major big states. And his death per capita was significantly lower than New York, Pennsylvania, and Illinois, and slightly higher than California, who, by the way, has an unemployment rate of 8.5%, or approximately 38,000 per million more people unemployed in California. So 38,000 more. So you, you, as you can see here, as you can see here, uh, there is a significant difference here. In other words, by opening the economy sooner, Ron DeSantis put his state on a faster path to economic growth versus his blue state competitors. In the case of Andrew Cuomo, can't even make the argument that he saved lives because about a thousand more people died per million in the state of Florida versus the state of New York. A thousand more people died. And yet, the unemployment numbers, 40,000 per million died in, uh, were unemployed in New York with a thousand more people per million who died in New York. He, you know, Kumo can't even make the point that he saved lives. There's a significant difference. I mean, at least Governor Newsom can have some afterlives were saved. And the question is, was it worth the price of having some 38,000 per million more unemployed? Now, I bring, uh, so to me, the real debate that comes up, because as I stated at the beginning of the show, people are now going to start looking at it and try to spin it to defend themselves. Uh, not the least of which, uh, let me get here. And Dr. Larry, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yes. All right. Here's the thing, because I got this story. And I uh, and I know this is one of my this and yours, but I had to pass the story because this is kind of part of what I'm going to see, where quite honestly, uh, you, know, the, you know, people are going to start looking and try to spin. Hey, my ideas work better. Yeah, you know, my ideas work better. And Tony Fauci, most recently, credit himself for the rapid rollout of the COVID vaccines. His exact words were, it may have been the best decision I ever made. Somehow or another, 
Trump's role in Operation Warp Speed got lost. Now, when you read that or you hear that, what's the first thought that comes to your mind, Dr. Larry? Well, I think he's he's a braggart, and he's uh, he has a little trouble with the truth. Oh yeah, I mean this is yeah thing because like I say I you know, I've been going over the data you know before you came on the show, and uh, and I'm sitting there looking. I mean like for example the GDP, I, I'm looking at the fourth quarter GBT. Republican states outperform Democratic states. Uh, unemployment. You're less likely to be unemployed in a Republican state, in a Democratic state. And the price, and basically you can't even make the argument that you save lives. There's no real significance difference saying that may end up saving lives or certainly reducing the virus's impact is going to be the vaccine. And here we have you know, Dr. Fossey trying to rewrite history. And that's why I think it's important to sit back and understand that we need to get the right lessons passed. And I know you were one of those that you said the biggest mistake that Donald Trump made was listening to Tony Fossey and the lockdown. And I want you to hold on to that thought because I'm going to have you detail that after these messages. This is Tom Donaldson with our guest and good friend of the show, Dr. Larry, here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You might know me on 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger is too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old the for flu. The media is exactly. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Okay, Dr. Larry, uh, we'll go ahead with the question. I, I think I, I just asked you, you know, some, you know, the comments. Do you have any additional comments to that? Well, you were <clears throat> you were asking me about the um, the mistake of uh, that, that Donald yeah. Trump made, made uh, regarding uh, the lockdown. 
I, I felt at I felt at the time that it's very dangerous to put the fate of an entire country uh, in the hands of a very specialized and therefore narrow uh, view of of society for, for any specialist. And it's also true of any uh, any uh, public health official because their their perspective is how do you how do you maintain and improve and uh and try to uh offset any kind of uh all all threats that that, that are feasible uh are, are, are possible uh to the public health and and of course uh a pandemic is uh of its essence is a uh, is a threat to public health but the problem is that any specialist, and this would be true uh, also of a, of a chemist or or, or a, uh, a, phys- a physics uh, uh, expert or electronics or any digital. Every uh, every specialty of necessity has a very highly uh, specialized view and narrow view of what is important, and when you give the reins to somebody like that, they are going to tell you that uh, all the bad things that could happen if uh, you don't do what what they think is is the right thing to do. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Donald Trump is he was he, he was an executive before he got, became president, and it's typical of of a CEO to when he gets into a, an area that he doesn't know personally much about is to go and look for the best uh, authorities that he can find and uh, and then he's just down and listens to them and in this case uh, that's what he did with uh, Fauci and and the rest of that crew the the public health um, constituency or the public health uh, 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 profession really uh, had, had had its first chance, maybe ever, to dominate an entire uh, public uh, policy, and and so they did. And uh, because of that, we had this lockdown. And you, you have to remember that there's never been a lockdown, even even in 1918, uh, with the influenza epidemic or. Or with the uh, polio uh, problem that was in the got hit its uh, height in the 50s and and so on, never has there ever been a lockdown like we had for uh, the COVID. And uh, the reason we didn't was because they had politicians and and uh, public figures that people that had to be reelected uh, were in in power and. They didn't do it that way, but uh, Mr. Trump, being uh, following his uh, normal inclination, uh, decided to go ahead and, and try 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 to do it do it the, the hard way. And uh, frankly, it came out very badly ultimately. And uh, and I, I feel really it was one of the the greatest mistakes that he made. And he 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 figured that out pretty pretty quickly too, 
before the end of April, he was he was already uh, diverging from uh, the public health people, but it was too late by then because they had everybody scared to death. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, but here's the other, here's an interesting part. I'm, I'm going to read this because he wrote his letter. Yeah, he just wrote a little note on this where he talked about you know his disagreement with uh, Fauci and Birch because they both came out and kind of were critical of him. And, and, and this is a line that's at the very end. I only kept Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birch on because they had worked for the U.S. government for so long. They were like a bad habit. In other words, he figured out very quickly – Boy, they're giving me bad advice, and he tried to steer the ship in a different direction. Why did he fire them? Because he's sitting right here saying, well, you know, I didn't fire them because they were part of the government. You know, they, it was like they were there. And, and, and being a CEO, you do have a habit of firing incompetent people after they give you bad advice. Why do you think he didn't fire these two people? Well, I don't. I don't think he felt that. Well, I think it would have been political suicide to fire all the the, the public health people yeah. at that point. Uh, that was one thing, probably a big thing. But the other thing was that it wasn't so much that they gave him bad advice as it was that they gave him they gave him advice that was very narrow narrow in scope. And uh, and and he took it. I mean, you know, he took it and ran with it. And so, therefore, you can't say that the fault was all theirs because they did they did what you'd expect them to do. You know, they 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 yeah. uh, listened to themselves and and so forth. But um, what 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 uh, what Trump did was uh he he listened to them and um and therefore you know he he he's really the one the buck stopped with him not with them okay that's a good point to make because this was his decision in the end ultimately and, it was you know, his people decision. will say yeah because a lot of people are going to criticize you know what do you criticize well uh you know he was listening to advice and as you stated he came out quickly and figured out this was the wrong advice and tried to dig himself out of that hole that he got created. Uh, and so he did make, you know, I mean, that was, in my view, the biggest mistake. You know, there are those who would argue that you could have the first 15 days of the lockdown, to, you know, quote, because the original lockdown was met to make sure that we had uh, you know, plenty of hospitals, not to have the hospitals overwhelmed. But after that first 15 days, he expanded it. And then you had governors who expanded it on their own authority uh, as well. And that's, you know, so he was basically, there was this catch-22, namely in a predilect system, you know, the governors are going to do what they want it and what they need, to, what they feel they need to do. And they too are listening to the same advice and they took it to a step further. But in the end, this was his decision. And I, you know, and, and while he, you know, tried to change it, you know, he had made that decision. But let me take this to a step further, though. 
is. I mean, scientists ought to be, there has to be a bit of a modesty in scientists. Namely, I don't have all the answers. Here's my suggestion. And certainly, the big, another mistake that Trump and Pence made is they didn't get business people, somebody like yourself, who said, whoa, do you guys understand what you're doing to the economy? Is this what we want to do? And, and, and I will say this. There were people like Scott Atlas, John Andalonis, uh, you know, Jay Baghetti and others who said, wait a minute, you know, before we get this train running, don't we, should we figure it out, not just what's it going to cost us and whether or not, what is the virus all about? And, you know, what is the virus? Is this the virus or is this just another pandemic we can live through and crashing the economy may be a worse alternative? You know, none of those people were included on the original task force. And that too, and maybe my question is, because you've dealt with these bureaucrats. You know, was this one of those things where, okay, he these were people that are there, they're supposed to be the experts in this area, and so he listened to them. Uh, you know, and, and what's a lesson in the future on this? What's your thoughts? Well, I think the lesson is that you have to remember that <clears throat> that a nation is, or any uh, group of people are con- con- is composed of human beings, and they have more uh, needs and more requirements and more uh, aspects to their to their lives than simply their their health. Health is very important, but it's not ultimately the most important thing in their in a person's life and particularly in group life and i i think that had they <clears throat> had they been a little bit more uh, aware of the way previous uh pandemics had been had been handled they probably would not have gone in the direction that they did and um and, and and certainly anybody coming now coming after us uh deserves to uh look very carefully at uh what I consider and I think you do is it was a major mis- mistake of of the Trump administration probably cost yeah. him the election ultimately yeah well here's the here's the other thing cuz I'm going to confess this to Ron DeSantis uh, because here's what Ron did you know, the governor of Florida did, in my view, is he looked at the scientific advice of one group and and then realized there were other voices out there. And he basically you know, looked at these other voices and said, hey, I want to talk to you guys. Because he did have a lockdown. He did have economic restrictions in April and going into uh, and going into May. But he started to talk to people outside of the scientists, the government scientists. And I think that if there's a lesson to be learned, another lesson to be learned is is widening the scopes of the experts that you have. Found that the advice that they were giving him seemed to be more scientifically grounded than the advice that let's say he was, you know, hearing from Tony Fauci and others. You know, that's my view, and I and I think that that to me is a big lesson. 
you know, going outside of the quote unquote your scientific class to sit back and say, are there other voices out there? What say you? Well, <clears throat> I, I guess there there's more than one lesson to be learned here. Uh, that's certainly one of them, and but I, I think basically uh, it's a it's a matter of sort of common sense now that now that we know the outcome. It wasn't so obvious in the, before it happened, but um, and the other the other factor too was that that Trump himself was told and and became convinced that in two week a two week shutdown was going to do the job. If you recall, uh, right? He, he he did not buy into the idea of a prolonged uh, uh, lockdown that that actually happened i mean that was not his his it was not his uh intention at the beginning so um so he, he you know but but once he got into it it it, it was very uh it, it was it was like a big trap and um and therefore you know he he uh he paid the price too but Everybody was trying to do the best they could, and you got all those kinds yeah. of reasons. But uh, the public is not very uh, forgiving when it comes to some things, yeah. and the lockdown was one of them. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, like I say, because you know, but to, you know, like I said, you know, there are other areas, scientifically speaking, that we see the same thing. You know, uh, I, in my view, we've seen the same thing with climate change. Where you have a group of scientists that dominate, and we're basically getting advice with one sector of the scientific community while ignoring the other sectors. And it's going to matter because the Green New Deal is going to be far, far worse, in my view, economy than, let's say, the lockdown we, we just experienced. And, and, and this is one lesson that, to me, if I'm a president, that you better learn because this is what Ron DeSantis learned. The, he's sitting there being told, "I got to shut down my economy." I think it's it's kind of like the old saying, you know, if something's wrong, you know, sometimes if you get a serious illness, it's not uncommon for you to get a second opinion. You'll want to get a second opinion if you know that a there are going to be choices in treatment, choices in disease, and what you need to do. Make sure that you're getting the best treatment possible, and that's. Uh, well, he thought that's ahead. what he was getting. <laughs> yeah. Well, he did. Yeah. His point would be is that in the future, this is what we need to be. A, to me, if you're president, the first, you know, that you need to be getting second opinions when it comes to of these natures before you go setting into a policy that could be disastrous at all. I mean, totally disastrous. Uh, but uh, yeah, and that's just you know again that's one of those things you look at you know it's obviously easy to play Monday morning quarterback, but there were some signs you know you saw those signs on May yourself when you were on your show making the same point that you just made to us. That, yeah, I, you know, it, oh, oh. actually in in the first part of March I I wrote a column saying. Uh, the, the uh, uh, Trump's 
biggest gamble, and it was exactly this point. <clears throat> but you know, I had a little more experience with with that kind of stuff too than than, than uh, Mr. Trump did. And um, if if he'd had guys like me in there, he wouldn't have done it. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, actually, I don't think that's so far off from being the truth. Yeah, if there was, uh, again, if there was a much broad, I mean, and I heard this criticism before, you know, what was needed was a much broader group of people for that task force to get different advice and not have it dominated by, let's say, a Tony Fauci, who, you know, basically uses 30-plus years as a government scientist to basically make the point, I know the answers. Well, we know he did know the answers. But it hasn't stopped him from it. Still does. It still doesn't, yes. So, all right. Uh, like I said, we're at the point of the end of the hour here. I want to thank you for coming on uh, quickly. Uh, like I said, I'll keep tabs on what Miss Coco Kosky is doing. As I stated, she had some you know, some issues uh, uh, related to her health. And hope, you know, like I say, she does plan to be back uh, next week, next Tuesday, tomorrow night. Wilfer Riley will be on my show, uh, you know, talking about the Asian American, you know, the most recent, you know, Asian, what's going on with the Asian population, and he's going to put some very interesting data on that as well. So this is Tom Donaldson saying good night. Here from the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Not had my shirt on, my uniform shirt on, and had once he arrived at my window, I reached in that car, that I would have been shot if not killed that day. That day, July 31st, Officer Jackson was heading to work from Birmingham to Huntsville on Interstate 65 North when she was pulled over in Blountsville. It's not one time when I'm approaching that area that I don't think about that traffic stop. She says she passed an officer running radar on the side of the road, and they made eye contact. And I, I saw him quickly approaching me, so I knew I was going to be stopped. But what she didn't know was what was going to happen during that stop. She says she asked the officer why she was being pulled over. And he kind of stuttered, uh, uh, where you were falling too close. And I had a dazed look. I kind of looked at him. Then he said, and you were on your phone. I said, no, sir. She says then the officer appeared agitated. It went from him being shocked that I was in uniform to it appeared to me as kind of insulted. Jackson says for several moments, both officers belittled her. She says she knew things could have escalated and ended bad for her, but she says what hurts the most is this same story is happening to African-Americans all across the country and they don't have a badge to keep them alive. If I stop you, with no probable cause and, and you're driving and you know you didn't do anything wrong. What happens is what happened to me. I was tired, frustrated. It has to stop. And I owe black and brown people this. 
that change is here, and I'm going to do everything that I can to educate people. I'm going to do everything that I can to remove the fear of being stopped. In Birmingham, Xavier Harris, WVTM 13. Officer Jackson filed a complaint with the Warrior Police Department. We reached out to the department for a comment and was told the chief will be back in the office tomorrow. Hey, we want to welcome everyone to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we're glad that everyone is able to join us uh, this afternoon for uh, our first show uh, uh, in reference to Black History Month. Uh, it's going to be uh, Black History Month on You and the Law podcast show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And uh, the uh, audio recording that we just listened to, we have, uh, she's going to be a guest on our show. Her name is uh, D. Janae Jackson, uh, and she is uh, out of Birmingham, Alabama. She had a, a Facebook uh, live uh, video that went viral uh, back in July of, of last year. So we've got her on as a guest uh, for our first show for Black History, and we're excited about that. But without further ado, uh, I need to introduce our listeners. If this is your first time listening to you in the law, um, my, well, let me say this right. So he is the host of the show, and I am the co-host of the show. So, and the host of the show goes by the name of T. Swaggity Swags. How you doing, bro? Hey, man. You know what? I, I don't. I don't pay you to make mistakes, man. You should. Well, you, should you should just say right off the bat, the host of the show, man. I don't pay you to make mistakes. So next time, get it right, man. Next time we get it so, right? Okay. So All right. Well, you know Absolutely. what? What's going on? Until, What's going on, Brother Verge? Not okay. a whole lot, man. Until until you give so, me a salary me. increase, I'm just going to do what I do. Man, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, duly, hey, duly, duly noted, bro. Duly noted. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, Chief, we're going to bring our guest on the line with us. Uh, she is a a fabulous young lady out of Birmingham, Alabama. I've had the uh, pleasure of speaking with her uh, a couple of times, and uh, we're just so glad that she's able to uh, to take uh, some time to join us on you and the Law on the Back of the News Radio Network. And so we're going to say uh, good afternoon to Miss Jackson. How you doing? I'm doing good, and you all? Oh, doing good. You're doing good, Miss Jackson. Thank you for joining us. Yes, sir. Yeah, and and you know, when you say Miss Jackson, it, it has such authority with it. So I just wanted to say Miss Jackson. So, uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. So, uh, listeners, uh, this is uh, Dejanae Jackson. Uh, she is a federal officer out of this. Uh, that she lives in Birmingham. And, uh, and we're going to get into talking a little bit about uh, what happened to her back in July. But uh, as we kick off Black History Month, it's, it's really important that we talk about uh, African Americans in law enforcement, men and women. And uh, uh, your story, uh, when, I, when I saw it, I, you know, I immediately reached out to you. It took us some time to connect. And, uh, but, you know, the things that you experience are things that, everyday citizen experience, and I don't think a lot of people really realize that even being 
black in a uniform that you're subject to the things okay, that, that ordinary citizens uh, deal with every day. And and I'll say this, I think a lot of people think that police officers get special treatment. Uh, you know, we're above the law and we're not above the law. Uh, I think there there is some, okay. some courtesy given to police officers all around the country. And uh, But I think there's a big difference when uh, – when you are treated in such a manner that it makes you feel like, well, if I'm being treated this way, I'm pretty sure other people that look like me are being treated the same. So, and uh, you know what? But go ahead. It, it's, it's funny um, well, what you just said is so true because that was said to me during my traffic stop. You think you're above the law. That was said wow. to me during my traffic stop. Really? You know, we spoke yesterday, and you brought up the fact that – did you see this officer with a body cam uh, on, on on his uniform throughout this, this traffic stop encounter? Yes, sir, um, it, because he even made mention of the body cam. When he, he okay. approached my vehicle and he began to humiliate me and try to intimidate me and belittle me, at that point – he then yells to his backup partner, oh, she works for U.S. Customs. Oh, I know I can feel a complaint coming on. Let me turn this on right now. Now, you and me both know that body cam should have been on the moment that he stepped out of his patrol vehicle. So the question exactly. is, did he turn it on or did he turn it off that day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ms. Jackson, kind of uh, tell our listeners a uh, little bit about you. Uh, but I tell you what, we're coming up on our first break. So we're going to take this first break, and when we come back, we're going to talk uh, more about you. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Back of the News Radio Network. You know, before Boost, our phone bill was obscene. So we switched to Boost and got lines for the whole family with unlimited gigs for a much more family-friendly price. It's nice to have a phone bill that doesn't require parental controls. Your family deserves better. Get four lines for only $25 per line, each with unlimited gigs. Plus, get up to four free Samsung J7 perks with six months of Hulu where you can stream all the shows everyone is talking about. All on the super reliable and super fast nationwide network. Boost makes it easy to switch. Switching makes it easy to save. Welcome back to you and the law. Uh, the broadcast uh, with Chief uh, yeah. Keith Green and uh, uh, Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey on the Bass News Radio Network. Six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. The number to get in touch with Chief and uh, their special guests, uh, uh, HNA Jackson. Uh, you can hit us up in the uh, chat room too with your questions and comments, and uh, on their Facebook page. As oh, well, back to Chief got the right Virgil Green and Chief Keith. Hey, we want to welcome everyone back, and we want to thank LA for bringing us back on. But you are listening to a special edition of You and the Law throughout the month of February. We're going to be talking about Black History Month and African Americans that are in law enforcement uh, and the contribution that they have uh, given to law enforcement, uh, both men and women. And uh, today we have a special guest on the show, uh, 
DGMA, and uh, we want to get right back to her so she can uh, tell all of our listeners about her. How did you get involved in law enforcement? And um, just a little bit about your background and, and, and where you're from so our listeners around the, uh, the globe can know about Ms. Jackson. Well, um, I, uh, I received a degree in criminal justice. Um, I always had a desire to help people, and I've been an athlete my whole life, so I was very athletic. So I said, what better career to go into uh, than law enforcement? Um, I started my career at, in 2005 at Jefferson County Sheriff's Department, uh, which I served about two years. A um, little less than two years uh, in the jail, in corrections first, and then I uh, went out on patrol. And I was on patrol maybe a year and a half, um, and then I uh, was selected for vice and narcotics, which I served um, almost four years there, and I worked uh, alongside several task force with the FBI and DEA and ATL. Um, and then in 2014, uh, I began my federal uh, career with uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, where I have been since then. Um, I'm the baby girl of uh, four, uh, well, three brothers. It's, it's four of us, and I am from Birmingham, Alabama, uh, born and raised, and I have um, lived in Vermont. I've lived and worked in Vermont. I've lived and worked in uh, El Paso, Texas, uh, Mobile, Alabama, Atlanta, Georgia, and now I am currently working out of Huntsville, Alabama. So that's a little bit about me. Okay. All right. Well, well, you definitely have uh, you've got a, a really good uh, law enforcement uh, background, and uh, you know, and, and one of the things that you know we're going to be talking about is just the challenges that uh, uh, black women face, uh, whether you're on, in federal law enforcement or just in in municipal or county law enforcement, or even as a state trooper. So. Uh, we definitely, uh, you know, thank you for your service. And because a lot of people, you know, don't realize the, the things that women go through just to, to get their foot in the door. So uh, definitely thank you. But uh, uh, T Swag, uh, what's going on? You, you're kind of quiet over there, man. You're being quiet with me. Well, no, man. <laughs> you know? No, 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 no. I was gonna. I was gonna. I, I, I'm a gentleman, man. I allow ladies to finish their. Uh, their comments. You, on the other hand, I, I interrupt you on purpose. But anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Miss Jackson, I, I do have a question for you. So, um, you were saying that when he approached the car, the first thing out of his mouth was, "Oh, she works for customs. I know I'm going to get a complaint." Is this even before he even started talking to you or introducing himself or any type of dialogue with you regarding why you were stopped? Well, no, the, it wasn't right off the bat. Um, when he, he approached okay. the vehicle, he was startled, okay? He approached the vehicle. He, he looked surprised when he saw my uniform. So it was after right. I asked him, sir, what reason was I stopped? Because I know I wasn't speeding. I wasn't doing anything. This is okay, what I'm well, saying I'm to myself. Stop. So I asked him. And then that's when he got agitated, I guess, because I asked him that question. And that's when he said, oh, oh, you think, oh, whoop de doo you work with U.S. Customs, and he tells his buddy that, oh, she works for U.S. Customs. Let me go ahead and turn this on because I, I already know a complaint is coming. And, see, there wow. was some dialogue was... in between before 
he so-called, quote-unquote, turned his mic on. Right. You know, I'd be interested to see um, – I'd be interested to see that – I'd be interested to see their policies, you know, because, you know, why would you not turn that camera on as soon as you get out of the car, you know, to, to capture right. all of the – all the encounter, but you know, I've I've been there before. I know what I, I you know I can't say I know with that particular incident, but I've I've been in in, in similar incidents. And, and, and let me ask you this: Do you find yourself on a daily basis hearing people say things about law enforcement? And and I'm sure, like a lot of officers of color, oh no, everybody's not like this. We try to do the right thing. Uh, you know, and then bam, this happens to you. you know that this incident happened to you. I mean, do you find yourself doing that sometimes, defending law enforcement or speaking up on for law enforcement in a positive way? Um, you know, especially being in your in your profession. Well, you know, I've, I've been doing this a long time, and I'm sure you all have been long, you know, doing it longer than me. Um, but this wasn't the first time. Okay, this wasn't okay. the first time that I have been racially profiled, right, guys, but to the extent wow. that I was in my uniform Next, and to the extent of these two people coming at me the way that they were and telling me I think I'm above the law and I'm this and I'm that and it just, you know, I know here in Alabama when they when they ran my place, they could have saw well, everything that they needed to see. I, I, I and for this, the backup officer well, to ask me, well, like, do you have driver's license? Okay, now let you know. Let's be honest. I, I work for the federal yeah. government. Do you really think that I would not have driver's license? That's number one. So he asked to see my driver's license. Then secondly, he said, "Well, do you have insurance on this car?" And I said, "Sir, with all due respect, I know that you can obtain that information from my tag. See, because now at this point, I under, I see what they're doing. Okay, now you're antagonizing me. So then I I said, my insurance is on my cell phone." I give him my cell phone. He sees it. Well, do you have registration on here? I mean, they take me all the way through here. Like, wow. I mean, I, 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 I kid you not. And as I'm giving him everything that he asked for, he's steadily mouthing off at me. And I said, sir, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm simply trying to give you everything that you're asking for from me. That's all I'm trying to do. I said, I'm not going to argue with you all here on the side of this road. But to answer your question, that has always been, you know, a, a question. Yeah, you know, when when what well, I have I learned and what I've experienced in law enforcement is that even that day, it wasn't about the uniform. They didn't see the uniform. They saw a black female. That's what they saw. But exactly. typical civilians, when they see the uniform, they are reminded of a bad experience that they encountered with a law enforcement officer. And I've had to stop people at times and say, hey, look, I understand that you had a bad experience, but I'm not that officer, you know. And then once we get into whatever I'm, you know, investigating or the case may be, they quickly see it. You are not that officer that I had that encounter with, you know. Um, but I will say since my traffic stop, I've, I've – and when I tell you, I, I can I can document them all. I can show them all from federal law enforcement officers, from federal corrections officers, from FBI agents, DEA agents, ICE agents, local police officers, local uh, a local and and and, um, and sheriff's deputies from all over the United States. It says I've been done the same way, but you still have some people that believe that. Oh, you know, we're just making this up. 
This is just another black person is saying that they was racially profiled. But when I have, when I tell you numerous, numerous of messages from all over this country expressing their concern and frustration of how they've been done the same way, there's a problem. Yeah. Ms. Jackson, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What have you found out about that department as far as the, uh, these type of actions, the history, uh, this officer, uh, this particular officer? What have you, what have you learned? Well, let's just say I went to court last Tuesday. I represented myself. I pled guilty back in not, not guilty back in October of last year. So therefore, I had a trial on last Tuesday in which I represented myself. And what I did determine, and, and I was able to observe, is that um, the officer uh, he, he stated and said to himself he has a bad memory. Okay, that he was not even prepared for court. Okay, that there was body camera, but footage, but that wasn't presented at court. Now I'm just stating facts here. Okay, about the wow. As far as the department goes, I, I can, I filled out, I typed a written formal complaint, and which was turned in one week from the date of the incident. The date of the incident was July the 31st, 2020. I turned in a written complaint to the chief one week from that day. Here it is, February the is the first. What's the day? February the second. Okay. And guess what? I have not heard one word. I hadn't received an email or phone call, a letter in the mail. I haven't received anything from that police department. You know, Keith, she shared that with me yesterday. That you know, she filed a, uh, a complaint just like any citizen would would file. And the fact that here it is, you know, we're going into another year, and that agency has not even replied to her complaint, says a lot about how the top administration is, and the fact that they really have basically just kind of, you know, blown it off and said it it doesn't really even. It's not even worthy of acknowledging. And I asked her this question because this has gained a lot of – she's gained a lot of news exposure from not just in Alabama but around around the country. And when I saw, you know, Attorney Crump even share her video, and and so when he does that and she's – you know, Roland Martin has even done the same thing. So this is – has, is this, it's, it's known What happened to her is known But it's almost like these people Have just dismissed What their officer did And the fact that She filed a, a formal complaint That deserves to be Investigated and as a citizen She deserves some type of, uh, of Reply to that And So it, it just kind of goes to show you Where people are at at the top yeah, or at least acknowledgement that it was received. Uh, you know, uh, and, and you know now even you know even even if you have an attorney, you have a legal advisor. Uh, there's nothing that says you won't acknowledge uh, that you know that 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 was received or anything like that. But that's just weird. Um, that, how large is the department, Ms. Jackson? If you don't mind me asking, you know how large it is. Uh, large maybe. I would yeah no I would say it's a small police department I would say maybe ten uh, maybe fifteen officers at most but I, I will tell you this I received several uh, messages on Facebook from people 
expressing, and I'm not talking about law enforcement now, I'm going to civilians that expressed to me the same, and almost, there was this one lady that situation in traffic stop was almost identical to mine. She said that they accused her speeding or something, dogged her out and cussed her out on the side of the road, gave her a ticket or two, and when she got to court, the ticket was dismissed. Okay? But then I had several people, even white and African Americans, expressed to me the same thing that they had encountered in that same in that same area. And if you're from Alabama, there's there's no secret about the area. No, it's no mm-hmm. secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, hey guys, we're we're going to be coming up on our on, on our next break, and we're actually at that at that moment. But hey, we're going to take this quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to finish our discussion with uh, with Miss Jackson. But you're listening to you and the law on the Back of the News Radio Network. I'm Bracken Booker, an assistant editor here at Tell Me More, and my black history icon is Malcolm X. In his 39 years of life, he was a hoodlum, a racist, an inmate, and a Muslim who was militant in the fight for civil rights. But that's not why I admire him. More than the any means necessary mantra that has become his enduring legacy, I love Malcolm X's willingness to eschew racism and evolve into a human rights activist. Here he is in 1964 talking to reporters about his pilgrimage to Mecca. I had close contact with Muslims whose skin would in America be classified as white and with Muslims who themselves would be classified as white in America. But these particular Muslims didn't call themselves white. They looked upon themselves as human beings, as part of the human family. Those words couldn't be more relevant today as the U.S. Homeland Security Committee considers hearings on the radicalization of the Muslim community. Welcome back to You and the Law on the Bastion News Radio Network, 646-929-0130. The number to reach Chief Green, Chief Humphrey, and uh, their special guest, the U.S. Customs uh, Agent uh, D. A. Jackson. Uh, question for uh, Mr. Jackson, um, and sort of a, a comment um, at the same time. I, I, I for one, have experienced, uh, my name is L.A., uh, I've experienced, um, you know, driving while black with officers of both colors, of, of black and white, pulling me over. Um, shame, shame to the ones that look like me, but too blue to understand it. But I, I want to kind of say that as a civilian, um, without coming off the wrong way, um, welcome to the party. Because civilians go through this all the time. And I'm not taking away from anybody's experience as a, a law enforcement officer being mistreated, especially if you're black, especially if you're a black woman. So I guess the question that, or the common question would be uh, to you, ma'am, uh, you know, has that made you more sensitive to our 
people in particular that go through this on a regular basis every day of the week? Well, to be honest with you, like I told you, this is not my first experience, and I've, I've always been quick to tell. And in, in most cases, you know, in the majority of cases when you talk to, you know, someone here in, in my experience, it's always been a black male, okay, when you talk about it being racially profiled. And I've always expressed my, my, my concern and my understanding to them because I've always drove a nice vehicle, and my vehicle has been profiled as if maybe there's a guy driving those vehicles. So this is nothing new for me. It stems all the way to the beginning, you know, starting out in law enforcement. But I've, I've always been sensitive to others because I know how I've always conducted myself as a law enforcement officer. I've never been one to pull someone over that I did not have probable cause to do so. So I've never been one to violate people's constitutional rights. So as far as being sensitive, that's always been there because that's, I've always taken pride in my job and my position, and I've never abused it. So I've always been, you know, sensitive to, to those experiences and those traumatic, and, you know, and sad experiences that people have experienced as civilians have experienced. But that day was the day it just it was this straw that broke the camel's back because now, I mean, we got the black life protests going on, and it, things have just amped up even further and higher, and then you're going to do me like this in my uniform. Not only because I'm a black woman, but it, you, you're t- taking it to a whole nother level now. Things are extremely bad. But as far as the sensitivity, it's always been there. Well, and, and you know, and I have to add to that. I think, you know, uh, especially when we talk about black women in law enforcement, okay. just how you all, how black women are treated, uh, the obstacles that uh, that are put before uh, women to get into this profession, and uh, there's probably some stories that some women probably won't even tell uh, about uh, their getting their foot in into the door, and I just don't think a lot of men really respect uh, women uh, okay. who uh, want to get into this field. And you know, I, you know, Keith, you know, we've had this conversation on the on the show that we have a, and I shared this with uh, uh, with Janae the other day, that you know, right here in the state of Oklahoma, you know, there's only been in the history of the Oklahoma Highway, Highway Patrol one black female trooper. Now there's been countless of white female troopers that have been hired over the past twenty, almost twenty years, but there has never been another. Black female trooper. There hasn't been another um, uh, Latino uh, trooper hired, uh, and so you have to ask yourself when you talk about recruiting, are you really doing everything you can to recruit, especially women, into a field that you that you're saying that you really want, and especially when you have so many historical black colleges. We have one here in, in Oklahoma, Langston University, has a good criminal justice program. But, Keith, you know, we've asked ourselves this question. If you really are trying to recruit minorities, why are you making the obstacle so hard, especially when people go through background checks uh, and, and all of a sudden things that are normally not even uh, scrutinized are now scrutinized because it's a African-American applicant. So uh, it, it's, just, it's really disturbing uh, to see how black women are treated uh, when they want to get into this profession. 
Well, because the background check, depending on the organization and depending on who's running the background, it can be it can be designed to meet the needs or not meet the needs of that individual. It just depends on mm-hmm. what, just depends on how they're feeling that day. Uh, it, it is yeah. it is uh, you know I think the the worst thing that well one of the things that we don't do in law enforcement and we said this before in LA and I've talked about this previously we don't do audits of our process. Uh, we mm-hmm. don't um, we don't utilize those early intervention plans also uh, regarding the officer's behavior. But when I say audits, uh, I guarantee you, uh, I would feel safe in saying that the the police department in question, uh, there was there's no video audit process in place. I guarantee you, there's no body camera policy in place. If it is, it's very very vague. Uh, mm-hmm. I guarantee there's not a complaint process. I guarantee if you were to ask that officer what the complaint process is, he would just basically say call the chief or whatever. Uh, I better guarantee you they they there's nothing that says if someone makes make a complaint, you'll call a supervisor on scene. So so it doesn't it it it, it shocks me in 2021 these things are continually happening. And what I've heard Miss Jackson say not one time. Well, let me go back. Not one time have I heard have I heard Miss Jackson say that uh, she was expecting any kind of special treatment. Not one exactly. time have I heard her say that if if I was violating the law, then you know, man, do your job. I haven't heard that, but I do believe that she did deserve uh, at least a, a respect. Uh, for the fact that she was a fellow law enforcement officer, uh, whether or not you were going to write her a ticket or not, you always show people respect. Uh, you don't argue with people, and I tell people that. You don't argue with people. To, you know, you if you're going to issue the person a ticket, you issue the person a ticket. You don't scold a person. Right. You don't belittle a person. Uh, you don't lecture a person. You write the citation. You tell that individual. You may not agree with it, but you have some options you know you can pay the fine or sit at the court uh you can do that and you have less there's a there's a minimal chance that you're going to get any type of pushback when you do that the person may not be happy but at the end of the day you left that person with their dignity and um but 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 to say oh let me turn on my camera now that just kind of lets you know kind of makes you wonder how many traffic stops have been made uh, and how many, you know, how many complaints haven't been uh, submitted, uh, and how many complaints that they ha- complaints that they have been submitted, how many of them have been ignored? That's it's just that's just a um, uh, that's puzzling to me. And, well, and, well and, let and me, Ms. Jackson, let me let me tell you let me tell you this: as a police chief, I want to apologize for that agency. Uh, for the way that you know that that you were treated and the way that you continue to be treated, based on the fact that you can't even get a phone call back, uh, so I want to say I apologize on behalf of, of of you know local law enforcement agencies throughout the nation. Yes, sir. I will say that I actually did the opposite because they both stood at my window and tried to ridicule me and and and, and belittle me. That's when I stopped him and I said, sir, either you're going to write me a ticket or you're not. Mm-hmm. See, because what, what wasn't going to happen is you, you're not going to talk to me like a child. You understand what I'm saying? And he tried to tell me, well, I understand, Ms. Jackson, that you may work 
federal law enforcement, but here in the state of Alabama, you know, the following two close laws says X, Y, Z. And I let him finish. And I said, sir, I do know the law. I said, and just to let you know, I worked nine years locally, so I do know the law here in Alabama, and that's what really, I think, uh, because they thought they were going to sit there and belittle me. And uh, I think that intimidated him even more, but they were just trying to chastise me. And I told him at that time, sir, you're going to write me a ticket or you're not. And that's when he said, well, I sure am, and he stormed off. But uh, I agree with you when you when you decide Someone give you probable cause to pull them over. You walk up to that window. You introduce yourself. That was never done. What department you work with, that was never done. That's why it's so much conflicting of where and who gave you the, 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 the citation. Because come to find out, he was working for Warrior PD, but the ticket says Blountsville PD in Blount County, and I was in Jefferson County. Now, you helped me make sense of all that. Yeah, that's what she was sharing Controlling with you. Controlling different counties. Yeah, yeah, that's what she was sharing with me when we were uh, talking. Uh, that there's this conflict uh, as to uh, where was this officer actually working at? You know, uh, and the fact that even when you made the comment earlier that he said that he has a bad memory, uh, yeah. that even questions that even questions why is this why is this dude even in a uniform if you've got a bad memory. And let's say you go out here and you shoot somebody, and they're they're a minority, and and next thing you know, you're gonna sit there and say, um, I really don't know what happened. So, right. you know, there's a lot of questions about because the majority of our police departments around the country are are small and rural police departments, and these small and rural police departments often have officers working for multiple agencies, um, and it's just the culture, and you know, Ms. Jackson, me and the, uh, Chief Humphrey, we've had we've talked about this on our show before. Is the culture of law enforcement has to change, but you continue to see weekly, if not every other week, things that happen, and it makes you wonder, like, okay, we're in 2021. Why is this stuff still happening? And you know, there was just in Georgia. Uh, just it was just released that a Georgia uh, uh, police chief and an officer, these and I'm just gonna say it, these two dummies, they they said that the body cameras didn't work on both of their uniforms. So these two dummies, they're just talking like everything is just cool, but they're sitting there talking, having these racist comments, talking about slavery and talking about, well, you know, black people, they all they had to do was just get out in the field and work. They gave them a place to stay. But here it is. And I looked this this city up. You know, it's predominantly a white city, but it has a black mayor. But, Keith, these are things that's happening that should not be happening. And it's almost like people giving, you know, they make an excuse to say, well, yeah, yeah, that is right. I mean, he shouldn't have said it, but, you know, he really didn't mean it. Now, come on. I mean, we're way past time for, you know, making excuses for these bad behaviors. But, right. you know, listen, guys, we're getting ready to come up on our, on our, on our next break. Uh, but we want to remind listeners that you're listening to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And the calling number to the show is 646-929-0130. And if you miss any of, of, of the show live, you can definitely 
catch us out on the on the uh, podcast uh, at the Bachelor News Radio Network dot com and catch out all of our shows on our on our website. But guys, we're going to take another break, but uh, we'll be right back. But you're listening to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I'm Sam Fullwood, a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress and occasional guest on Tell Me More. No public figure made a more positive impression on me than former heavyweight champion Muhammad Ali. Sure, Ali, who was born Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr., was an outstanding boxer. By most accounts, including his own, he is the greatest of all time. But it isn't Ali's power in the ring that I most admire. Ali represents what beautiful, bold black manhood can be. He challenged the leading conventions of his day, including the Christian church, by becoming an acolyte of Malcolm X and joining the Nation of Islam, and he fought and defeated the U.S. government, refusing to bear arms in the Vietnam War. Of course, being a free man has its price, and Ali played dearly. He was denied access to boxing for three and a half years at the prime of his career. Within four years of returning to boxing, he regained the heavyweight title in 1974 with an upset victory over George Foreman. An interviewer later remarked that Ali was the second most popular man in the world behind the president and then asked him if he wanted to be president. Ali told him, America's in too much trouble. I don't want that job now. (laughs) (laughs) That's the Ali I love. He retired from boxing in 1981. He remains an example of what is the greatest in America. to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, I'm L.A. Bachelor, and if you miss any part of this show or any of the you and the law broadcast, you can go to the website uh, to check it out on the you and the law page, the Bachelor News Radio Network.com, the Bachelor News Radio.com. I'm going to go back to Chief Keith Humphrey, Chief Virgil Green, and their special guests. All right, we want to welcome everyone back to you and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And we had a, a, a question from David uh, from Brooklyn asked if all of the officers on the scene were white. Uh, he also asked if uh, if you uh, think it would have been uh, if if it would have been differently if the officers were black, Miss Jackson. Uh, yes, both the both officers. Uh, the first officer, he was a younger officer. Uh, and the second officer was a veteran, and they both were white. They both were white on the scene. I think they may have one black officer that works for the department, uh, but he was not on scene. Um, And you know what? I have been stopped once by a black male officer, and um, he asked me where I was going. I said, I was actually working with the sheriff's department, and I I uh, was going to pick up my check, and then he said he walked off, and he said, "Oh, well, have a good day." But this is the reason why I stopped you. Um, I've only had that experience with a black male officer, um, but I do believe that 
these two officers just had an issue. You understand? I I, I believe mm-hmm. that it's not that I believe I know. I know that they had an issue. They had some ego issues. They had some self esteem issues. They had um they felt that they had a point to prove with me that day. And um they they, they were uh extremely the way that they acted is if they were extremely intimidated. Yeah. But uh, we want to, uh, you know, listeners, we want to remind you that if you're uh, on the line listening, if you would like to come on live uh, and ask our, our guest, Ms. Jackson, some questions, uh, just let the uh, producer know, and he'll uh, he's screening the calls. If you want to just uh, listen to the show, be, be my guest and listen. But we've got a lot of people that are that are on listening to the show. But if you want to come on and, and ask our guest a, a question, uh, please just let uh, the producer know uh, when when he gets to you. So, uh, you know, Miss Jackson, this is a this has been a problem uh, for a very long time, uh, and you yes, know sir. the the saying "driving while black." You know, racial profiling uh, occurs, and and this is a good example of someone being in uniform, uh, exp- having those, those same experiences. As, as regular citizens, and, and obviously it's been shared with me, with friends of mine that's, that's in Oklahoma, uh, that they have been in uniform, stopped within other neighboring uh, suburbs in the Oklahoma City area, and uh, in, it, it's a surprise when the officer walks up and sees you, see them in a uniform, but they continue to go through the the same thing as if, you're just another black man or a black woman. Uh, and so, but you see just the opposite when you hear about white guys talking about it. Oh, yeah, man, my buddy so-and-so pulled me over. and Man, you know, we, whatever, whatever. But it's it's all nice. But when that encounter is with a black uh, police officer, it's, it's handled totally different. And the, the sad part about it is the fact that you can be working with these guys at, at some point uh, where you might back them up or they may back you up. But this is just a, a problem that has been going on for a long time within this culture of policing where, uh, but, you know, you made a point when you said, you know, we're talking about black lives, but then you, you made the, the comment earlier about blue lives. So when you, when people bring up black lives matter, the first thing you're going to hear is, well, what about blue lives matter? Absolutely, absolutely, and that's always that comeback statement. And and, and it's, it's just like I've explained before. I've never, I've never said that black lives mean more than any other life. And I don't think that anybody that says that means that. All we're simply saying is, we matter. Our lives matter. We want to be treated equally. We want to be treated. Fairly. That's all. That's. I know when I say it, that's exactly what I mean. And I feel like anybody else that says that and expresses that, that's exactly how they they feel as well. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna come in on one of the uh, statements that you made about um, I could have been his backup. That's the very thing that I expressed to the chief immediately after the traffic stop when I went to complain. I said, sir, do you not know that I travel this road ten times a week, two times a day, heading north and south? I said, he said, that's the same thing I was thinking. 
they may need your backup one day. You're not thinking wow. of looking at it like that. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? You you yeah. all know that what some bad things happen on the side of the road when it comes to law enforcement. It's you and that person in that car. And that's not far fetched to say or think that that could happen one day. You got somebody pulled over and I see a gun or I see you fighting a tough one and you didn't done me like this? Yeah. Not a good thing. Yeah. No, it, it, you're right, and and I want to go back to something. You know, I mentioned about the the, the chief in Georgia and the other and, and his officers. You know, just the, when we talk about black women, uh, these two guys talked about the Atlanta mayor, even about having sex with her. They talked about her and Stacey Abrams. So these are two people who are supposed to who have, who have taken an oath to uphold the, their ordinances, the state laws, federal laws, whatever it may be. But here they are openly talking about two high-profile black women, uh, one, in, one in Atlanta, uh, well, both, you know, both in Georgia, Stacey Abrams and, and the mayor of Atlanta, about sleeping with them. And so it, it right. makes you scratch your head is that you got, I don't care what age you are, that those those things are unacceptable, Keith. When our leaders are having these conversations about black women, so that lets you know, even without the body cameras, and these two dummies had body cameras on, but they didn't think they worked. And the way they discovered that they were working was they took them in to have them uh, the maintenance done on them, and it was determined that the that the memory was full. So when they went to when they went to listen to this stuff, it was just like, oh my God. But it goes to show you that the people on the other side who who discovered this, they didn't hide it, but they released this to the mayor and the mayor was just a shock. And you know, ended up basically asking the, the chief to resign and the other officer to resign, but he didn't want to, and he was terminated. So, Keith, this is, but you know, and Keith, we ask ourselves, why did this stuff continue to happen? And it's just like, it's, it's going to happen, it's going to continue to happen because we're going to continue to have these kind of conversations. Well, birds, think about this. Uh, this is what this is what they were caught saying. Uh, these aren't the things that they've probably been saying or been saying to other individuals prior to the video, the audio coming mm-hmm. out. And you know, at the end of the day, you kind of think about it as a chief. Uh, why would you have that kind of conversation with one of your officers? I mean, why would you why would you even allow one of your officers to come and have that kind of conversation? You know, with you and 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 it's it's. You know, um, it just, but, but like you said, uh, you got to commend the people that came forward. Because, you know, that could have probably easily, uh, now unless it was the camera company that was that was doing it, but if it was another officer, uh, another employee that came forward and revealed that, you got to hats off to that person. Uh, because, uh, like you said, that could have easily been deleted, you know, that could have easily been swept under the rug. And I don't know, and I've, and I've said this, Ms. Jackson, and if you've listened to our show before, uh, I don't know why. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know why this continues to happen. Um, 
I don't know why. It's just just crazy. And you know, and you know, well, go ahead. Go ahead. It's continuing. Well, it's continuing to happen because there's no accountability. Okay. You know, if, if, if I can just walk off a job, and just turn my stuff in I can just go to the next job and do the same thing Or I can go find another job That pays me just as well But you start tapping into pensions You understand? You start firing people And guess what? You'll never be a law enforcement officer Okay, because you know what? If a physician uh, Is found uh, Guilty of malpractice If you go in for surgery And you're supposed to have surgery on your right foot And he couldn't make a mistake And amputate the wrong foot He's going to lose his license He's done All those years that he put in the college All that money that he spent He's done as a doctor He's pretty much done He's not going to get any more insurance And it needs to be the same thing with law enforcement It it needs to be the same thing It's been going on way too long These people have gotten too comfortable And just mistreating people And that's a norm for them on a daily basis I can just break them off I can just bend the rules I don't have to What's the policy So what, right? Yeah, exactly. And you know what, Ms. Jackson, I will I will say that there, there are a few states that they do hold those officers accountable uh, that uh, we, we used to call them gypsy cops, and they go from department to department to department. And, you know, well, I don't want to deal with them, so if Chief Green calls me about him, I want to get him away from me, but I give him a good, you know, oh, yeah, he's a good person. So now anytime an officer's fired or they quit under, under uh, investigation, there's a form that you fill out that goes to the state, and so those the next chief uh, or you know whatever who's doing the background can actually call the state and see has this person been fired or did they quit under investigation, did they retire honorably or dishonorably? So those things those things help because because they're because you can't uh, in that situation depending on the nature of it you can't get a job as a peace as a peace officer based on what your, your I think it's called an F five statement says so so but but you know we talk about the guidelines and I'm hoping those are some of the guidelines that come down from this administration uh, regarding more stricter uh, more strict policies regarding um, uh, behavior bad behavior. And, and how to uh, prevent officers from, when they do certain things, not being certified uh, anywhere, whether it's state, federal, county, or whatever. Uh, I'd like to see those stricter, you know, guidelines, and I'm sure the, the nation would like to see those too. Well, there's a portion of the nation that would like to, or, or, or a large portion of the nation that would like to see those type of guidelines come down. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys, we uh, we got a question from Janice in Arkansas. Uh, and, Janice, we want to thank you for listening to you and the Long the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, Janice is asking if any if any of us have uh, have been the only black at a department and how did you handle it and how did you get uh, uh, racist attacks from uh, – were there racist attacks from fellow white officers? So, uh yeah, which is a good question. You know, there. You know, we we know that we are minorities in in this field, but have uh, Miss Jackson have outside before you became with with uh, working for the federal government uh, while you were working uh, with the county or municipal law enforcement? Did you ever experience working being the only black female working at a police department? 
Well, I will say that not the only black female, but what I will say is when I was assigned to um, patrol, I was the only black female on evening shifts, okay? So that would have been at that substation, at that particular substation. So that's actually a good question because when I when I came back to patrol from maternity leave, I it was only about five to eight days left in that particular month. So we had to turn in monthlies every month. So it was my first month back, but only a few days left. And, you know, we had a female uh, supervisor, and she looked at my monthly, and she looked at all the guys' monthly, and she said, she reached in her wallet, she pulled out $20, and she said, I I bet you all that Jackson is going to tear you all up next month. Well, they all, oh, no, she won't. No, she won't now. I'm new on patrol because essentially when I rolled out on patrol, uh, you know, I, I went on light duty. And they all pulled out money. They got about $100. And needless to say, the very next month, I didn't only beat them. I whooped their butt. And then they said, oh, you just got lucky that month. <laughs> then I whooped their butt the next month. So I say that to say that never that never bothered me in a negative way. What that made me do is work even harder to show every black female <laughs> That I was bad, and I and I mm-hmm. and I kept that attitude because my mom always raised me to be the best at whatever you do, and because of my work ethic and because of my production on patrol, I rolled into narcotics quicker and faster than anybody had ever done. So that didn't bother me, and, and I'm not a small one, okay? So nobody, if they said anything. They didn't say it to my face. So let's yeah. just say it like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, hey, Ms. Jackson, uh, you know, we're coming up on the last minutes of the show, but, but you know, how has this uh, traffic stop, you know, experience changed you? And, and let us let, let us and our listeners know some of the things that you're trying, that you're working on doing. And because we know this is not the last that we're going to hear of, uh, hear from you. So uh, just kind of share with us how this experience has been and, and some things that you're working on uh, before we close out the show. Yes, sir. Um, it, it actually um, it lit a fire in me. Um, I've always had the passion. I've always had the drive to help people. And um, that traffic stop that day, it let me know how so many people across this entire world are hurting and have been affected by uh, um, different law enforcement officers and agencies. And and it's given me um, the drive. I've started my own organization. I've got different, different organizations going on, but my pride and my joy is the police slash community relationship. And I feel like that the traffic stop has, allow people to see that not all law enforcement officers are bad. They are people that will stand up for what is right. And because I'm in that position, I'm in a position to really make some change. I'm in a position to really to help a lot of people, and I'm going to do just that. Um, you can find me on Facebook, DJNA Jackson. Also, my fan page, DJNA. I also have a website you can check out and see what I have been doing, me and my team, and that's Change starts within you, and that's just the letter U dot com. Uh, but the website is on my on my Facebook page, and you can find me there, and also on YouTube. And just keep up with what we're doing. Is this is just the beginning? Well, well, Keith, I have to tell you, man, uh, Miss Jackson, she she is a she's a celebrity, man. I tell you, when 
you know, when when you have your, you know, you have your regular Facebook page, and then you have another Facebook page that that other people don't have. So, man, uh, I, I we need to really kind of start rolling with with, with DZNA because, man, she she is a uh, she's an upcoming. Uh, 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 lady well, and, and has a lot of a wealth well, of knowledge and experience. Well, Virgil, let me say this, Miss Jackson, you you have a you have a personal Facebook and you have a professional Facebook, so you don't have a problem sharing it. Virgil has a Facebook that his wife oh, knows here we go. and one that his wife doesn't know. So here we go. I, I here just, we go. I just want to say, you know, I just I just want to I just want to say that. I mean, well, no, so don't, but, don't, you know, she has a public, saying, you know, she has a Facebook page that's a pup that that says, you know, she's a, you know, she's a celebrity, you know, man, you got to no, realize no, the celebrity. No, you know what? Is, I'm gonna tell you this. No, no, I'm not. And you know what? We're I, people say We're that. With you. People say that. I don't. You know what? I don't care how big I might ever get. I'm gonna stay the same person that I am. And I, oh, yeah. you know, I just, I really. I'm being patient because I have so much that I really, really want to do, and I'm just being patient and hoping that God send me the resources that I can get these things done across the United States. I, I've got, I've, I've been all over in UK on their radio stations and everything, and it's a lot of people across this world dealing with the same things that we're dealing with in the United States. Yeah. And I just really want to be placed in that situation and placed in that position to where I can help make some changes. That's all I want. Yeah. But I know it's going to come in well, time. Yeah. Well, Miss Jackson, you're definitely going to have uh, whatever uh, myself and Chief Humphrey can do to provide you any kind of, uh, you know, assistance. Let us know because you're going to have a, a home uh, with us on on the uh, back on the uh, you and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. But guys, we got to wrap it up. But we definitely want to thank Miss Jackson for coming on the show. But this won't be your last time coming on you and the Law. But Keith, uh, have a good night. Ms. Jackson, thank you again. But you're listening to you. you and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. All right. Good night, everybody. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck.
Jesus fucking Christ. 